Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Al-Qaeda rising from the ashes of ISIS territory. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Well, yes, you heard it right. Al-Qaeda is rising from the ashes of ISIS territory. If you think uh, ISIS is gone, <laughs> the territory may be gone, but it is not forgotten. They um, have not stopped there in their quest to destroy the West. But in the meantime, because of what's been happening uh, in, in the caliphate territories, in other words, because we're on the verge of totally d demolishing them, they are just barely hanging on. Um, and, at this, and at the time that you're listening to this, they may have already, the, the final nail may be in the coffin. Um, but while this is happening, and I'm going to talk to you about that and what's been happening there and, you know, how um, they're not surrendering meekly, uh, they're not surrendering and saying, we're not going to keep going after you. And I'm going to talk to you about how um, Al-Qaeda has taken advantage of everything that's gone on since 2014, when the caliphate first <coughs> established itself, um, and the U.S. was paying attention to um, destroying that, destroying that, destroying the caliphate, destroying the territory. Um, ISIS has been quietly and patiently working away to get stronger. But before we get, I don't mean ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda has been patiently um, waiting to um, take the lead in terms of who is the strongest jihadist organization. So let's, before I get to Al-Qaeda, let me tell you what's going on now in Syria. Uh, some of the headlines are, Islamic State Loses Ground in Final Syria Enclave. Now, what's interesting is that depending upon which news source you listen to, uh, they talk about hundreds or as much as 3,000 people surrendering. So um, this is... There has been this, you know, final, final struggle, final war, um, each week carving out more, destroying more of ISIS territory, until finally um, there are this, some number, between hundreds and 3,000, surrendering. But they are not surrendering meekly, as I said. Um, they are, they are, they may look, some of them look rather worn out. Uh, many of the men were limping. They uh, were walking over dirt paths and rocky hills, and some of them were accompanied by weeping children and women in veils, dragging suitcases and backpacks behind them. Now that seems pretty, um, what, pretty destroyed, <laughs> pretty, a pretty sad picture. And it is a pretty sad picture. I mean, war is always sad. Uh, a lot of the people who have or who are supposed surrendering in single quotes were foreign terrorists. Um, there has been this last 
uh, stand defense, though, by these terrorists, a desperate last stand defense in this final patch of territory. And they had once had, for the caliphate, a third of Iraq and Syria, and now they're down to a very small territory of essentially farmlands. Um, they were trying, they, they kept trying to attack, counterattack uh, the U.S., forces. Um, but now, as I said, we're closing in. A lot of the Islamic State terrorists were killed. Um, and there is no Islamic, there are no Islamic State leaders that are still believed to be in this territory that is left. Uh, the main ISIS leader, Baghdadi, is still alive, even though reports of his death have been greatly exaggerated. And now the current thinking is that he's possibly hiding in Iraq. Um, however, there is still, ISIS, as I said, may be gone territorially, but they are not forgotten, um, and they have not forgotten their goal to destroy the West. They are still a security threat, and in particular, what's really the biggest threat, and I've talked about this in some of the previous shows, is that... Um, there, what's happening with a lot of the people, uh, not necessarily this last batch, although, you know, potentially some of them too, but what's been happening as we have been closing in on this last enclave of ISIS fighters is that people have been going back to or trying to go back to their homelands, the countries that they came from. And... Um, in order to create terror attacks in other countries like, you know, France and England and the U U.S. And um, so it's not, so even though this, I mean, in a way, there, in fact, there are some that, who think that the fact that the land um, is destroyed will actually make them more powerful when they are able to go back, more powerful in terms of being able to concentrate on perpetrating terror attacks in other countries. So it was 2014 when um, the Islamists uh, declared a caliphate in this Middle East map um, in, uh, in these countries. And this, so this has been going on for five years. Now, here's the deal, though. The people are, even though it's a very sad picture, you know, limping and dragging their valises and so on behind them, that is sad, um, but they are not exactly going quietly into this dark night. <laughs> they are defiant, angry. Um, I'll tell you some of the things that they are saying. For example, Islamic State will remain. Um, they, um, going across the, across to the, they have to cross from this territory into places where they are then, um, screened. And, um, so there are lines of pickup trucks, motorcycles, people walking on foot and so on. And, um, some of the things that they are saying, um, let's see. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, here, a group, here, this is good. A group of women 
uh, who were at a reception area set up in the desert where they were screened. They were rowdy, aggressive, defiant. They were praising the Islamic State. They were screaming angrily at journalists. You know, there have been some, there are journalists at some of these um, screening centers, reception areas. Um, and so these, these even women <laughs> are, um, are, are yelling at them and, and being defiant and so on. They were wearing black robes and um, covering their faces with black coverings, um, pointing their fingers at a group of journalists, and they screamed, Islamic State will stay. God is great. God is great. Islamic State will stay. Then this is kind of interesting. A couple of women took off their shoes, and they raised them in the direction of journalists, and they said, take a picture of the shoe. The shoes are better than you. And then children joined in this, and they raised their fingers in the air. Now, I remember that whole uh, question about whether there were children uh, clapping or, or um, happy about 9-11. You know, it is unfortunately true that, uh, I mean, I know that was supposed to be those children that were in the news a lot. The question about that um, was more in regard to, well, there was a question actually as to whether the children that were being discussed that were um, excited that about 9-11, whether they were in America or whether they were in the Middle East. But in any case, you, I'm sure you have seen pictures on the news, as I have, of children at least in the Middle East, um, raising their hand and cheering when there would be some kind of an ISIS uh, or terrorist um, uh, attack, you know, where, where people in the West were killed or, or buildings were destroyed or, and things like that. So now, let's see. Um, then there was a woman called Um Fatima who said, I didn't want to leave except to treat her, and he, she's a 30-year-old Iraqi woman in regard to her one-month-old baby who was sick and who died overnight in the reception area because of the cold. She said, I didn't want to leave except to treat her. Her name is Um Fatima, and she said, the Islamic State will remain and expand, God willing. And uh, many of the people who came, you know, it was a, it was a, um, a variety of people who walked out of this area. And um, some of them were wives and children of ISIS fighters. And um, there's one interesting story of a woman named Lubna. She's 30 years old from, the Syrian, from a Syrian town. And she said there were many bodies on the streets in this area, this last territory, that were burned by a fire in an ammunition depot on the edge of a camp that was ignited due to a coalition airstrike. She said she opted to leave, but her husband, who's a Syrian, decided to stay. He will fight till the end, she said. She said he's prepared to blow himself up. God will send help. Um, she said she didn't think she would see her husband again, and she'll raise, get this, this is the, um, this is the, um, this is the crowning glory, so, so to speak. She said she, even though she didn't think she'd see her husband again, but she's going to raise her five kids to be, become jihadists. I mean, that says it all. 
So even though, so in other words, you should not get too excited about the fact and too complacent about the fact that uh, this last stronghold of the ISIS caliphate seems to be teetering on the edge and may, by the time you hear this, actually be totally gone. But that does not mean that ISIS has given up, and that does not mean that these, even these people who are so-called surrendering have given up. ISIS's loss is al-Qaeda's gain. I'll be talking to you about al-Qaeda in a minute. Um, I've been talking to you about how what's going on, the last stronghold of the caliphate, uh, is just about on the verge of extinction. And by the time you hear this, it may well have been, <laughs> uh, have already been made extinct. Um, you know, I'm just coming across something where it says, I, I was saying earlier that there have been a, different numbers given to the number of people who are leaving from this last territory, sur so-called surrendering, um, anywhere from hundreds to 3,000, and now I just saw some, uh, in, in one spot they, they list 10,000. I think part of the difference uh, in these numbers, besides the fact that it's really hard to tell how many people are, you know, in, in that kind of an environment. But I think also um, it's, um, some of it refers to people, I mean, and it's sort of impossible to tell this too, who were just the civilians who are not ISIS fighters and don't believe in ISIS, aren't terrorists, and who are the terrorists. So I think that's partly why these numbers have been different. But, um, Amongst the terrorists, many of them are foreigners, including Iraqis and Central Asians, along with the Subsyrian fighters. This is the final battle that's going on. They're holed up in tunnels and in caves. And um, when the last batch of civilians and evacuees and ISIS fighters leave, then the plan is that um, the U.S. coalition will bomb the remaining hardcore terrorists who have vowed to die in this little enclave. And you, I was telling you the story about this one woman whose husband, she left, and she took her children out so that she could, her five kids, so that she could save them so that they could become jihadists. And her husband wanted to stay. He wanted to fight till the end. You know, of course, he wanted to be a martyr. So what does this have to do with al-Qaeda? Well, a lot because <laughs> maybe I should have called the show while you were sleeping <laughs> this episode, because um, while some people were sleeping in terms of keeping um, an eye or more of an eye or doing something more in regard to Al-Qaeda, I mean, it was Al-Qaeda, of course, who um, perpetrated 9-11. And um, we have since then, and particularly since 2014, been paying attention, focusing totally on ISIS. And um, in this time, you know, being um, no longer in the uh, glare, well, uh, that's not fair. I mean, obviously, there are lots of counter-terrorist uh, experts focusing on al-Qaeda as well. This is not to say that uh, the U.S. has forgotten totally about al-Qaeda. But um, the primary focus certainly has been ISIS and the caliphate territories. Um, and and al-Qaeda has been quietly going about its business, not forgetting. I mean, I think that's the danger. That's kind of the point, that 
a lot of people, not necessarily the counter-terrorist authorities or experts, but uh, citizens, Americans in particular, um, are, uh, want, don't, are, are in such denial about terrorism, uh, thinking that 9-11 could never happen or that terrorist attacks um, of other magnitudes um, you know, aren't going to happen that often or haven't happened that often or when they do happen, they are of much smaller magnitude, certainly so far, than 9-11. That doesn't mean they're going to stay of smaller magnitude. Particularly, uh, remember, it was, it was al-Qaeda who perpetrated 9-11. So if al-Qaeda is getting stronger, they are going to be looking to do the same kind of um, really sensational um, kind of attack that they did before, you know, with 9-11. I don't mean the same circumstances. I don't mean bombing or flying airplanes into the Twin Towers, but I mean something dramatic. And so, um, so now, with the Islamic State losing the last of its territory, um, the, there's a new phase of global jihadism. And the question is going to be whether al-Qaeda will be able to become, and in what form will they be able to become and capitalize on this and become the number one terrorist organization, in other words, reclaiming their dominant position, the position they had uh, when 9-11 took place. So what this is going to depend upon, whether al-Qaeda is, is able to rise from the ashes of um, the ISIS territory, is going to depend upon what they have learned in these five years. In other words, since 2014, when uh, ISIS established the caliphate. And so what have they learned? What do we know about what they've learned? Um, first of all, um, they, they have been, you know, you, you some, I'm sure you've heard from time to time about uh, terror attacks in Syria, in, well, of course, Syria, but Somalia, Yemen, and West Africa. But they have affiliates. You, you, what you have, I mean, Al-Qaeda has been sending its affiliates to, there are places in Syria where there are Al-Qaeda Al affiliates. And also in Somalia, and also in Yemen, and also in West Africa. And they have been taking advantage of these weak and failing states in order to go very quietly and slowly and to infiltrate at a grassroots level. And they are making themselves seem um, legitimate to, in, these, in these places, among the local population. And um, in other words, they are ingratiating themselves and getting the, and, and, and also um, with propaganda, getting the local population to want to affiliate with them um, instead of ISIS, and in general, and as being a jihadist. So, for example, in Syria, the al-Qaeda affiliate in Syria softened its tone in compared to the more um, draconian, the stricter uh, Islam, ISIS, Islamic State. So they've, they've been 
they've been trying to um, show how they're different and trying to get people to now follow them, especially since ISIS, I mean, you know, do you want to be with the winner or the loser? Um, especially now since, um, again, not to say that ISIS is not going to continue to be in a very uh, threatening force a at all, not to deny that. But... Um, but um, but Al-Qaeda has been slowly but surely building its strength. And now the U.S. is concerned about things that are, have been left in the Middle East, you know, through all these, uh, all of these battles. And so, um, for example, they're concerned that Al-Qaeda can find loose stockpiles of weapons. And there's especially something... Uh, that they're concerned about called a man-portable air defense system. It's called man-pads. <laughs> uh, there are at least 15,000 of them essentially lost <laughs> somewhere in the Middle East, uh, unaccounted for, and so they are a major threat to civil avi aviation. So needless to say, if Al-Qaeda can, can uh, seize upon some of the weapons, um, such as the man pads, uh, they, this will help to make them a more powerful force. And then, of course, there is the question of um, us pulling back troops from places like Syria and Afghanistan and West Africa, Something that um, I must say, I, I, have, I hate to say it, but, you know, because on the whole, I agree with what Trump does, but I think pulling back U.S. troops is a big mistake. Um, and this will, this will give al-Qaeda a chance to control more territory, especially in places like Afghanistan, because if we withdraw troops and the Taliban offers al-Qaeda a safe haven, then we're back where we started from, if not worse, because now we have all these lost weapons in the Middle East. So um, this, you know, we, this is not something we cannot, um, and again, when I, I was going to say we cannot stop worrying about terrorism. It's not that I just to reiterate, in case you haven't been listening to all my past shows, where I talk about how my goal is not to make you worried or to make you go back to bed and pull the covers over your head and shiver from terrorists. Um, but my goal as the terrorist therapist is to, tr is to inform you about things, um, particularly psychologically, in terms of what this means for you. So it's not that I'm trying to get you to say that or to think that, um, that oh, you know, we're going to have another 9-11 tomorrow. But at the same time, I am trying to get you to build yourself up psychologically and physically, to build up your resilience, because we, and to not think, oh, yay, um, ISIS is gone from the Middle East, which is not true, <laughs> just some, their territory that they claim for the caliphate, uh, specific territory is gone. It doesn't mean that all the ISIS fighters are gone from the Middle East, and it does mean that many of the ISIS fighters uh, are on their way home <laughs> to countries that um, uh, where they can perpetrate terrorist attacks in their own countries. Of course, I've talked about in a previous um, um, show about some of the women who are trying to get back and about the whole question of whether they should be allowed back or not. And same thing for men. Uh, men who are coming back, at least to the U.S., are being going to be put on trial. And, but, 
you know, but in Europe, for example, there uh, just recently President Trump was trying to urge um, European countries to take their their people back who joined ISIS, but to try them, not to take them back and let them just run free in their countries, because they will. It's not like they've, it's not like they've changed their mind about wanting to destroy the West, whether it's the U.S. or Western European countries. Or So this is not something that they came up with overnight. This is, we're going back many, many years, and it's not something that they are going to be discouraged about just because some of their territory or their main territory, the caliphate territory, has been taken away. In fact, as you could hear from some of the things that I was reading that uh, some of the people said as they were on their way out, in a way, this is making them angrier and more determined than ever to get back at the U.S. and Western countries. Well, when we come back, we'll talk more about this, what Al-Qaeda is doing, and also about what's happening in Manhattan uh, to try to protect uh, some people from, or people who, well, I, I don't want to give, you, give it away. I'll tell you when we come back about what's happening, where um, at least there are some people who are, in fact, taking the continued threat seriously. I've been talking to you about what's been happening in the caliphate territory as it is coming to a close, um, being destroyed by U.S.-backed Syrian uh, Democratic forces and the coalition forces. And, um, and I've begun talking with you about how what al-Qaeda has been doing to try to take back its position of uh, the leader of jihadist terrorists. And um, so now, last year was Al-Qaeda's 30th year. It's, hard, it's, it's kind of a little bit um, surprising to think about this, you know, we, we, because really we, most of us um, became familiar with Al-Qaeda after 9-11, but really um, they have been around, I mean, I mean, yes, we obviously with the Taliban and all of that, we knew about them from then. But I mean, we've been paying more attention this way. We've been paying more attention to them and more fearful of them and um, since 9-11. And so last year was its 30th year. And it is now because of um, ISIS, um, the territory being destroyed, Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda having uh, insinuated itself into various places, quietly uh, developing alliances with a lot of the population, they are posed to uh, thrive now and pass under the leadership of Osama bin Laden's son, Hamza. Um, they have become. They are becoming reinvigorated. Hamza, I've I've spoken about him before. About he is he's talking about being angry and wanting revenge. He wants revenge for his father's death, of course. And so, with a lot of angry people, I mean, you know, actually, um, if the two ever got together. ISIS and Al-Qaeda, uh, ISIS being enraged now because their caliphate territory has been squashed, and um, Al-Qaeda having been enraged for a long time since um, Osama bin Laden was killed. These two forces, if they, if they ever joined together, don't know how realistic that is, but if they ever did, um, that, would, that would really be quite 
something to um, quite a threat. So now, the way that groups, um, it, whether Al-Qaeda is going to be, or how successful Al-Qaeda is going to be in terms of becoming the number one jihadist group, will depend upon what they've learned. And uh, the learning comes from both things that are written and people's memories from what they've experienced and one-on-one -on -one teaching. And... Um, so, for example, one example of, of people learning from the from online um, is was the Boston Marathon bombers. That was Al Qaeda. Um, well, that was they they learned how to construct their bombs from the help of Al Qaeda's online magazine called Inspire. And so there were instructions there that Tamerlan and Zokar Sanayev used to build their explosive bombs. And so that's one way, you know, and of course there's still a ton of, um, of terrorist instructions on the internet. And then, but in person is even more valuable. So the fact that, um, that al-Qaeda jihadists have been able to be in Syria and with, with the war in Syria and the, and the caliphate in general, but, but particularly in Syria, they have been able to learn, al-Qaeda has been able to learn directly from some of the um, things that were done that worked out well and things that were done that didn't work out well. Um, you know, obviously, for how what happened or what they didn't do to protect their their caliphate, um, but they've had they've been able to learn in a number of ways, and they've been able to extend their connections um, into various amongst various people, and all of these things during these five years, they've been able to learn a lot. So, also one of the things that they are good at is talent spotting. They are able to pick out people, recruits, who would be good at doing certain things that they need. Um, they they groom them, they vet them, and they figure out how is the most effective way to use them, just like uh, the military does. And so. Um, They've been doing all of these things underground, so to speak, sometimes probably literally, underground, and um, and are now are now ready to focus its efforts on becoming the number one uh, leader of the global jihadist movement. Well, what, what do we do with that information besides, as I've been saying, to, uh, to build ourselves up, to recognize that there is still a threat out there, to build ourselves up, uh, build up our resilience, build up our, our strength physically and psychologically, be able to um, live not just with this, you know, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Some of you are probably thinking, oh, well, yeah, that's right. You know, I, yes, ISIS is going to continue to uh, send out its propaganda. I mean, actually, if you look back at the, um, 
shows that I did at the beginning, there were two shows at the beginning of 2019 that I did, uh, talking about ISIS's plans for 2019. So ISIS, you know, just because this caliphate um, area, the territory, is now essentially gone, does not mean, I mean, that's not all the people, that's, that's not all the ISIS terrorists um, they were all killed in the in that territory, and there is still the the ongoing plans um, that I talked about in um, in my first two shows of the year what they had planned for 2019, and these plans were not dependent upon. Um, keeping the territory, because the plans I talked about, for example, uh, bombing um, Disneyland and, or Disney World and, um, and other kinds of things that were primarily in the U.S., attacks in the U.S., and you did, you did not need all the people who were on the territory, who were living in the territory that the caliphate was on. And even not all the leaders are there. I mean, a lot of this stuff, and in fact, it, there was something recently in Los Angeles where um, there was a, something came online, something was posted online, a picture um, of a building in downtown LA, a tall building exploding with a terrorist, an ISIS terrorist in front of it. So, you know, all we need is a, even a homegrown domestic terrorist falling for this propaganda and um, doing things in the name of ISIS. Again, it doesn't need, and as I said before, in fact, some people think that they will be able to concentrate better on things, on attacks in foreign countries if they don't have to deal with protecting their caliphate territory. So now what's happening in New York to um, the site of 9-11 to protect itself from terrorists? This is really a fascinating project. Uh, it's called Hudson Yards. And they have created on 28 acres a development, a small city that um, contains apartments and stores like Neiman Marcus and restaurants with uh, top chefs and an observation desk and office buildings, the most expensive office building in New York and pricey apartments as well. It's a $25 billion project and it claims to be fortress-like in the, its protection against the wrath of both nature, natural disasters, and humankind, i.e. terrorists. So now, um, what's interesting is that they, uh, they, were, it's, they acknowledged they were influenced by the 9-11 attack, and so they had consultants, including the New York City Police Department Commissioner, William Bratton, and they hired him to provide uh, safe plans, such as for, to, to really um, protect people from all kinds of terrorist scenarios, such as truck bombs, active shooters, and chemical attacks. Now, the key, though, was to balance between making this this 28 acres, these structures and parklands and so on, making them inviting, you know, to enough for people to want to spend uh, uh, millions of dollars to some of the apartments and so on. It's, it, it, and of course, the offices, everything is super expensive. So they want to make it uh, an inviting place, an aesthetically pleasing place, and yet at the same time, a place where you can feel totally protected. So you can't make it look like an armed camp 
And in, in fact, they acknowledged that if they have too much security, that gives people the message that there's a threat there. Now, of course, you know, who are the people who are going to be interested in, to, in moving into this super expensive um, place? It, it is beautiful. I mean, the plans, the pictures and all that look beautiful. But it, it, it does look somewhat like a fortress, I must say. Um, you know, the buildings are futuristic. They're very pretty. This observation desk, deck is unbelievable. Um, and there are trees and park, you know, make it, to make it look park-like. And it's very pretty. But, um, so, but at the same time, the attraction, of course, to people is not going to be so much about how pretty it is. There are other pretty places in New York. Um, it's actually a competition for the World Trade Center area, ground zero, with all its new buildings. Um, but anyway, so people who would, the people who would be most attracted to move here would be people who wanted to be protected from terrorism. I mean, I mean yes, natural disasters um, like um, the 2012 superstorm Sandy, it's supposed to be, um, protect, it would protect people from that kind of an, an episode, an incident.